Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. You know, Rick, recently I've seen how the church is being persecuted for being followers of Jesus Christ. But this is not the first time in history that this has taken place, is it? It certainly isn't, Jimmy. Ever since the time of Christ and and throughout history, Christians have been persecuted. But you know, Jimmy, they're not really persecuting us. They're persecuting who we follow. Yes, that's exactly right. From the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2 until today, until the rapture of the church. And perhaps that's today. But as we're looking at our program today, we'll be examining events that help us to understand where we are on God's timetable. Let's get started with our first one, Rick Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman joins us. He's our expert on geopolitical affairs. Uh, He joins us just about every week. Ken, thank you for joining us this week. Rick, it's a pleasure to be here, as always. Well, Ken, we've got lots to get to this week, but we'll start in Iran, where it seems like the uh, revived nuclear talks may be coming to some kind of conclusion, or is that not the case? Well, it's unclear. The Iranians sent their written response on Friday to the draft from the European Union that we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. And uh, the, they did not say what was in it. They said it was constructive. Uh, that's all they would say. However, as soon as the State Department saw it, they said, yeah, we've received the Iranian response and it is not constructive. So, so it's unclear at this point whether the deal is done. Well, Ken, who seems to benefit from this deal? I mean, it sounds like Iran is driving a hard bargain. What What are the specifics? What should we be concerned about? What should we look for? Well, uh, what, what I think is happening here is the Iranians are doing a repeat of Yasser Arafat and the Palestinians who never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity hmm. with Israel, hmm. with their negotiations. So the Iranians in these negotiations, remember, the United States is not appearing to take part in them. Our diplomats are sitting in a separate room in these hotels in Vienna, and the EU diplomats are the ones, and the Russians are the ones who are directly negotiating with the Iranians. Uh, But obviously our diplomats, who are the same people, by the way, who negotiated the original bad Iran deal in 2015, uh, they are obviously kept abreast of everything that's happening. And the Iranians are trying to uh, repeat the 2015 negotiations where every time that the U.S. thought they had a deal and every time the Iranian foreign minister said they had a deal, the foreign minister would go back to Tehran and Hamanei, the supreme leader, would say, uh-uh, not yet. We want something more. And every time uh, they would come back then uh, to the negotiations that in 2015, it was in Lausanne, Switzerland. And um, Zarif, the foreign minister, would say, well, we need this particular thing more. For instance, no ban on our ballistic missiles. And John Kerry would say, "Okay, you can have whatever you want. So the Iranians think that they can get whatever they want by holding out because they know and they are correct in this, that Biden desperately wants this deal. And he wants this deal for many, many different reasons. But I think the primary reason he wants the deal and he's not talking about this publicly is because that would bring something like 70 million barrels of Iranian oil that is currently floating around the world on uh, tankers, uh, essentially mothballed on these tankers. That would bring 70 million barrels of Iranian oil back onto the market just in time for the midterm elections. So the price of gas would decline. And one of those irritants to voters across the country 
would disappear. For looking at keeping nuclear weapons out of the Middle East, there are so many red flags with this deal, but for maybe economic reasons, or sometimes I feel like President Biden wants to get this deal restarted because the previous administration under Donald Trump canceled the deal. And, you know, in the light of President Biden's uh, speech this last week, where he seemed to equate those enemies of his politically, he called them basically terrorists. Uh, How is this kind of insistence and this kind of kind of bulldozing through common sense at times, how is it going to affect President Biden's uh, foreign policy uh, in the upcoming years? Well, Rick, I've got to correct you on one thing. Biden didn't seem to call his political enemies terrorists or enemies of the <laughs> state. He called them enemies <laughs> of the state. It was very clear, loud and clear, uh, just as in a previous speech earlier in the week, he said that the Republican Party, the MAGA wing of the Republican Party were semi-fascist. This is authoritarian talk. This is the kind of thing that a democratic form of government in a republic such as we have cannot tolerate. You must always respect your political adversaries. In the U.S. Senate, you have to compromise with them. That is enshrined in our institutions. And it's enshrined in our institutions because the founders understood A one-party state, which is what Biden is talking about creating here, a one-party state without the Republicans. If the Republicans are outlawed, that's what you would have. Uh, And the founders understood that a one-party state is a tyranny, is a tyranny. You cannot have that. So they split up power. They divided power between the executive, the judicial, and the legislative branches and made them compete against each other and put checks and balances into our government to prevent exactly the kind of thing that Joe Biden is trying to create. This is dangerous. It's tremendously dangerous. And the irony here, you say, what about his foreign policy? Well, you have, you're going to have Democrats who will oppose this Iran deal. Uh, now, I don't know what Chuck Schumer is going to do. Uh, remember, in 2015, he opposed the Iran deal then, and it was a better deal than the one that Biden is talking about uh, accepting now. The deal this time would not keep Iran a year away from a nuclear weapon. At most, it would keep Iran a couple of months from a nuclear weapon. So the deal is not as strict as the one in 2015. I don't know how Chuck Schumer is going to come down, but let's say that he opposes it. Is he then going to become a terrorist in Biden's eyes? Is he going to become a semi-fascist because he opposes Biden's foreign policy? This administration is off the rails, Rick, and this is un-American talk. This is an un-American discourse we've heard from the president of the United States. It's shocking. Well, Ken, I think it's very important to examine the way this president operates, and it is very concerning, in my opinion. And and it's very concerning because he's got so many foreign policy challenges to deal with, not the least of which is uh, Russia, China, and Iran seemingly coming together. Well, that's right. And they are coming together because all three of them sense a vacuum. All three of them sense weakness in the president of the United States, and weakness is always always a provocation in an American leader. Uh, You cannot give the appearance of being weak. Certainly Donald Trump did not do that. And during the Trump presidency, we did not see uh, Chinese threats such as we see today against Taiwan. We did not see a Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we did not see uh, the Iranians threatening, again, to become a nuclear weapons state, threatening to nuke New York. I mean, that's outrageous. And they've said this publicly, that they could fire a nuclear missile on New York. 
you need the United States president to not just talk tough, but to uh, to carry that to carry that big stick, which is a U.S. military ready to defend our interests, our interests around the world, not not engage in ex- expeditionary w- wars, but in, in, in defend our interests. And so, yes, you do have a a, a buildup of this Iran, uh, Russia, China axis, and even the left wing media is recognizing it. And they are not only ideologically coming together, but they are actually even having military exercises together, aren't they? Uh, they are. And it's uh, quite extraordinary to see that happen uh, without a peep out of the Pentagon. Uh, so this week, uh, Russia began what they call the Vostok 22 exercises. I believe this is the third year that they've held them. 50,000 soldiers, 140 aircraft and 60 warships from who? Russia, China, Syria. And India. Now, Iran took part in, in at one point in these exercises. I don't think the Iranians are there this year. But you have uh, China engaged in major, major military exercises in the Far East, in the Pacific. Uh, and if Russia, if you have Russia and China cooperating in the Pacific, in the South China Sea, that makes it a lot easier for the communist Chinese to threaten Taiwan and a lot more difficult for the U.S. to come in there and prevent it. Well, uh, continuing with our talks there, we're going to talk about Russia a little bit. And, of course, they were in the news this week with the uh, former head of the Soviet Union, Gorbachev's passing. And also, uh, they seem to be bullying the market again uh, with the threats of canceling uh, oil deliveries to Europe and even some kind of uh, funny business with uh, Russian oil executives. Well, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev died in his bed, as far as we know, at the age of 91. He was a lucky man because he had been critical of Putin's war in Ukraine. And many people who had been critical of Putin's war in Ukraine uh, did not Mm -hmm. have the privilege to die in their beds. We've had a spate of oil magnates or oil executives in Russia over the past six, seven months who have died in very mysterious circumstances, the, the most recent of them, the chairman of Luke Oil, the Russian oil giant corporation Luke Oil. He died this uh, past Thursday by falling out of a window when he was in a hospital mm. in, the, uh, in, in <laughs> Moscow. A very extraordinary. I mean, it must have been that his bed, he must have been sitting up in bed and the bed must have collapsed and he just slid out that window. I mean, how mm. extraordinary. I guess they're going to have to do some work on that hospital. And he's just the last of eight of these people. He was 67 when he died. He's the last of eight oil executives who have died, all of them who were critical of, of Putin. So it is very dangerous. It is very dangerous in today's Russia to criticize uh, uh, the czar, King Vlad. And Gorbachev, luckily for him, died in his sleep after having done just that. Well, Ken, your breadth of knowledge is amazing, and your experience really helps us to understand what's taking place in the world. We appreciate you talking to us every week. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, Rick, it's always my pleasure, and please go to my website, KenTimmerman.com. You can sign up for my emails, and you can see also portions of interviews I've done on my new book, and the rest is history, including uh, my own Christian witness in Beirut. God bless. Thanks, Rick and Ken, and uh, that's KenTimmerman.com. Go there. I think you'll find it very fascinating, his information that he puts on his website, plus his excerpts from his book. We've got to take a break, and when we come back, our Middle East News Update with David Dolan, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. 
I'm Todd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. A recent United Nations report said that among certain groups in Nigeria, as many as three out of four women are forced into marriage. Take Lena, an imam's daughter who became a believer in Christ at only 14 years old. Because of her faith, Lena survived domestic abuse, forced marriage, and sexual assault. And now she plans on going back to her hometown to share the gospel. Please pray for Lena and other Nigerian women. In the Southeast Asian country of Laos, Christians risk much to follow Jesus. Joe Handley with Asian Access says dozens of Christian leaders have seen their homes and churches torn down. Many flee to nearby towns or even the forest. Others spend time in prison. Laos has a state-sanctioned church, but the government keeps a tight rein on gospel proclamation. Asian Access works with other ministries, providing aid and even legal help to persecuted Christians. Learn more at missionnews.org, a service of One Way Ministries. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, this is our Middle East news update. We focus on news coming out of the Middle East and especially Israel. And to do that, we have journalist and reporter Dave Dolan with us. Dave, thank you, as always, for joining us. Blessed to be with you on your fine program. Well, Dave, we'll start off on Israel's northern border, and tensions are high with their neighbor Syria there, aren't they? They are very high, Rick. Uh, I lived my first four years of 33 years in the north of Israel, right along the northern border with Lebanon, and I still have uh, many friends there, and I'm hearing from them that it's very tense. Uh, Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed militia, based in Lebanon, but with many, you know, actors, fighters in Syria as well now. They appear to be preparing for battle, the Israelis are saying. Uh, Benny Gantz, the defense minister, warned Hezbollah leaders that if they do anything against Israel's Karish platform, that's the huge gas field, natural gas field out in the Mediterranean Sea, under the sea, and uh, the U.S. is negotiating a border between the Lebanese portion and the Israeli portion, and this platform is in what is clearly the Israeli uh, uh, area. But Hezbollah said they would attack it. They sent some drones against it, as you recall, a month ago. So Gantz said, we'll have a full war if that happens, and we don't want that. But um, uh, this comes, uh, Rick, as uh, Israel struck uh, the airport at Aleppo. That's in northwest Syria. That's the first time in four years that they've bombed uh, targets there. And later it came out that one of the targets hit was contained a thousand or more rockets in it and exploded in a huge ball of fire. 
And uh, that's significant also because uh, Aleppo's very close to the main Russian Air Force base in Syria, very close. And uh, the Israelis have so far stayed out of that area. But what happened, Rick, is Iran has switched from sending its supplies to Hezbollah through Damascus airport to uh, Aleppo, further north. And um, so the Israelis are obviously signaling they're not going to permit that. Meanwhile, Rick, the New York Times reported that the uh, Syrian leadership, uh, President Assad, has asked Iran to stop attacking Israel from Syrian territory. And that's been reported in the media in uh, London and other places, and and as I said, the New York Times. But it uh, hasn't been confirmed, so we're not sure that's the case. But we do know that Hezbollah and uh, Syrian forces themselves, but also actual Iranian Revolutionary Guards, are along the border with the Golan Heights, and they have struck into Israel at innumerable times over the past uh, few years. And now apparently the uh, Syrians don't want that to continue. And that may be the reason that the Times said that uh, that these pro-Iranian militias in Syria have been attacking U.S. Uh, forces. We talked about the uh, main Al-Tanth uh, air base in the east of Syria being attacked on August 15th by these militia groups, sending rockets onto the base, uh, injuring several soldiers. And this is continuing, Rick. There's been more skirmishes this week as there was last week. So the idea being that maybe the Iranians are going to strike out at America and the idea being that maybe the White House would then put pressure on Israel not to carry out any further strikes in Syria. It's a mess. It's very tense. And the reality, Rick, is it could explode into full war at virtually any moment. Of course, that's always the case. But there's a lot of things going on right now. And summers usually when we have our conflicts and it just looks very serious. Uh, Israel at odds with Iran and uh, concerned about Iran becoming a nuclear power. But much of their fighting right now is done through proxies such as the ones in Syria, correct? Oh, definitely the case. The Israelis are continuing to uh, pour scorn on the nuclear deal that's being um, uh, negotiated. The uh, head of the Mossad called it, quote, a strategic disaster. And he noted that the last time that phrase was used by any Mossad leader was during the 1973 Yom Kippur War, in which Israel nearly lost as the Soviet Union was loading troops to join the fray in October of 73. So it's a very serious situation, and the Israelis continue to make it clear to the United States and their other allies that they think this deal will just uh, further the terror all around the region. They'll send this money that will be released to all these terror groups and, of course, encourage them to continue to strike at Israel and, um, you know, all of it a recipe for the, the large war that we are expecting one of these days. But currently the war between the wars, as it's called, uh, is going on, obviously, with these Israeli strikes in Syria and Lebanon and Lebanese preparations, Hezbollah preparations for battle, etc. Well, Israel's relationship with Iran, with Iranian proxies in Syria and other places is something we've been keeping an eye on and will continue to keep an eye on. Uh, I'd like to move away from their kind of international relationships and talk about a variety of subjects that are internal within Israel. And the first one has to do with the Palestinians. Uh, We reported last week that they are looking to 
um, become a UN member nation, and the Palestinians are urging President Biden and Washington not to block their UN membership bid. Well, that's what's being reported, uh, that uh, they're putting strong pressure on by the Biden administration to support uh, the creation, the declaration of statehood, essentially, is what it would be at the UN, and then uh, voting to give uh, the Palestinians a full state membership in every way. Um, The United States has vetoed previous attempts to do that in the Security Council. The uh, Russians, the Chinese, and uh, most of the other permanent members have supported that bid by the Palestinians, but the U.S. has always opposed it, and they're trying once again. And the Prime Minister of the PA said that the situation has gone from bad to worse, and he said we have to have this statehood declaration. Uh, By the way, uh, he's known, uh, Rick, for his uh, immoderation, shall I put it. He's extremely anti-Israel in the statements he's made in the past. Prime Minister Shatia, he basically is seen as the main obstacle in the way of Israel and the PA possibly getting back to a peace track. He totally opposes it, and yet he just wants to declare this statehood. I think the U.S. will veto it again. The Biden administration is obviously far more pro-Palestinian than the Trump administration was, yet uh, Jewish voters are about 15, 20 percent of the Democratic votes in several states, Florida and New York and New Jersey included. So, you know, and most Jews do not support a Palestinian state unless it's part of a final peace deal. And Israel supports that, too. The Oslo Accords were designed to bring that about. Yes, Arafat threw them all out in the year 2000 because Ariel Sharon visited the Temple Mount. What a ridiculous reason to start a war. But that's what he did, and he ended the peace process. And just parts of it remain in place, the security arrangements, but most of it uh, collapsed a long time ago. Well, we'll keep an eye on that situation, David. You mentioned there the Temple Mount, and there was a couple of news stories concerning the Temple Mount this week. Can you let us know about those? Well, yes, Rick. Uh, First off, um, and I think the most important one, is that Jews, for the first time, are being allowed into the Gate of the Tribes. Now, that's a small gate that's in the northern side of the Temple Mount. I'm sure you've seen it, and I've been through it many times because the press during the riots up there, I just mentioned 2000, during the second uprising, I was with CBS News, and that's where the journalists were let in and out of the Temple Mount and it wasn't open to the public, and Israelis have never been allowed through it. Just the politicians and special groups, news groups, etc., have used it before. Uh, but it was open for Jewish worshipers, prayer people, uh, families went through it for the first time this week, and it's going to stay open to them. Now, the PA, of course, uh, has uh, protested. Hamas has uh, released all sorts of verbiage about it, desecrating the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque as they see it. But it is an interesting development for sure. By the way, uh, most Jews come through the Mugrabi Gate that you and I go through, where all the tourists usually come up, and the Israelis call it the Hallel, or the Praise Gate. Uh, Until now, they've only been able to get up that way. So this is two ways to enter now, and that's significant. Uh, The other story was a bizarre one, really, a very, I have to say, pretty a Spanish tourist, a, a Catholic a woman, uh, posted a picture on her social media of her sitting on the steps below the Dome of the Rock Shrine. 
And uh, the dress is quite revealing. And um, the uh, Palestinians went ballistic over it. That, you know, they first they said it was a Zionist Jew. She's not Jewish at all. She's not Israeli. She was a Spanish tourist, is. And uh, she posted it. Israel had nothing to do with it. But it once again came up, Israel's desecrating our holy site. And uh, anything that happens, Rick, we've said it, the most important real estate on earth, the Temple Mount, anything that happens up there can can make the news and can start a war even at time. Well, David, as you know, the prophet Zechariah says that Jerusalem will be the center of controversy in the last days, and we certainly see signs of that right now. Well, David, I have a few more questions. I'd like to talk to you about the father of modern Zionism, Theodore Herzl, and also a question about the late Mikhail Gorbachev's impact on Jewish immigration from Russia to Israel. Could you hold on through the break so I could ask you these questions, David? Glad to do it, Rick. We'll be right back on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, if you're new to our program or have not heard about us before and would like to find out more, we invite you to go to our website at www.prophecytoday.com. There you can find out more about the ministry, how you can get involved with our ministry, and how you can learn more about Bible prophecy. Well, in this second half hour of our program, we'd like to continue the conversation that we started earlier in our Middle East News Update with Dave Dolan. We recently experienced the 125th anniversary of the Zionist Congress, the first Zionist Congress, which Theodore Herzl led. And they've had a remembrance time of this in Europe and in Israel. I just wanted you to comment maybe just a little bit about what Theodore Herzl meant to the Jewish movement, the Zionist movement, and to the creation of the state of Israel. Well, he's really thought to be the father of Zionism, modern Zionism, which, frankly, is a bit exaggerated because there were other Jews of earlier centuries, the 18th, 17th, 16th centuries, that talked about returning to Israel, and uh, one man proclaimed himself the Messiah and got a large following of Jews in Europe, and they were got as far as Turkey before the Muslims turned them around and slaughtered most of them. So this isn't new, but uh, what Theodore Herzl did was take action. And he convened this conference uh, in 1897, 
in Basel, Switzerland, and there were a um, couple hundred Jewish delegates from throughout Europe. It came in the wake of the terrible trial of a Jew, Alfred Dreyfus, uh, accused of espionage and various things, no evidence, and anti-Semitism was rife in Europe at the time once again. And of course, the ghettos of, of Eastern Europe were filled with blood and the pogroms were going on. And he said, it's time we have to go back to our old land. And let's do it. Let's make it happen. Of course, the first time Hatikva was sung, the Israeli national anthem later, and he was the force that got it all going. He was fairly secular, but one of his best friends, as I'm sure you know, was a born-again Christian, very much a supporter of the Zionist idea, a British man, and he helped organize Christian support for this new Zionist movement, including Lord Balfour of England, who later declared uh, issued the Balfour Declaration supporting the creation of a Jewish state in the British Mandate land in what was then called Palestine. So uh, he's well-remembered, well-regarded, and you still see, as you probably know, you still see pictures of mm -hmm. Theodore Herzl in offices and especially government buildings and post offices all around the country. He's revered really as kind of the modern Moses, I would, I would say. Well, for those who have been to Israel with us, you'll definitely know the name Theodore Herschel because we talked about him as we travel around the land. And we know, uh, we talk about the importance of the creation of the state of Israel, and we know that this is fulfilled prophecy and that God was the one who, who kept the Jews and, and brought them back into the land, but there were many people that he used in order to put this process into the place. Well, another person that was responsible for a lot of Jewish people returning to the land, or at least had a part to play in that, uh, recently passed away this year, and that is the former leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, just wanted, if I could, as your my last question, to just get you to talk to us a little bit about his legacy, especially when it is related to the nation of Israel. Well, he's pretty highly regarded, was highly regarded in Israel, Rick, of, of course, because he opened the what turned out to be the floodgates of Jewish Aliyah immigration from Russia and the whole Soviet Union, really. Uh, so many other countries as well, Ukraine included, to Israel. And uh, I reported for CBS uh, dozens of stories during the 90s of this mass immigration, this mass Aliyah taking place, and Gorbachev uh, started it. Uh, but he's not so well regarded in Russia. Um, um, they say Putin won't even go to his funeral, he's announced, uh, even though he's a former leader of Russia, because, of course, the Soviet Union fell apart under his rule and perestroika and the other uh, liberal reforms that he put in, giving people more freedoms, only made them demand more freedoms. And uh, eventually the whole system collapsed. And, of course, I was already in Israel when all that was happening, and uh, the Israelis were following it very, very closely. So uh, probably he's the got the highest regard of anywhere on earth in Israel. Hmm. But of course, they know that he still was basically a dictator. And uh, Natan Sharansky, who was the first uh, we call prisoner of Zion, the first Jewish refusenik that was uh, imprisoned for his desire to move to Israel, he was the first one he released, Sharansky, and he said this week that 
Uh, he was a great man, but you know, he wasn't a definite, he definitely didn't love Jews. He didn't have any special regard for the Jewish people. He just was responding to the pressure coming from American Jews mainly, but Jews in Europe also. And, uh, that, uh, you know, he did it for economic reasons in other words, but for whatever reason, he did get that started. And that's a fulfillment of Isaiah 43. As you know, I'll say to the North, give them up. And it happened. Well, very interesting. And we know, David, that God had a plan. He has a plan for the Jewish people. He has a plan for the nation of Israel. And he has used people like Gorbachev to see that plan come to fulfillment and continue to come to fulfillment. Well, thank you for your reporting uh, on these stories with us this week, David. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. You're welcome, Rick. God bless. Well, as we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word, again, uh, we're taking you to a segment that we have done often, and it's been a while since R.C. Merle has been with us on the program, but I just felt like with some latest uh, information that he has sent me, I wanted to get R.C. Merle back on the program, his website, prophecytracker.org. R.C., welcome to the program today. Jimmy, it's great to be back with you. R.C., an article you sent me this week, Visualizing the State of Central Bank Digital Currencies, is a fascinating look, country by country, as to where each one is in relation to going cashless, as prophesied in Revelation thirteen sixteen to 18. What can you tell our listeners about it? Jimmy, the website is called The Visual Capitalist, and the article is by Marcus Koo, who maps world uh, the world in economic categories, like the salary you need to buy a home in 50 major cities, or he maps the wealthiest billionaire in each state. Mm-hmm. Now, I couldn't find any connection to biblical prophecy for his work. So the CBDC mapping is purely secular, as far as I could see. Wow, interesting. So there is so much data in this article, and, and as I looked at it on the development of CBDCs, what immediately stands out to you that connects the dots with prophecy? You know, first, I'm, I'm continually amazed when talking with family, friends, and other Christians in a small Bible study group that I attend, just how few even know that this is happening. Jimmy, the article with all the mapping, which, by the way, is on our website, prophecytracker.org, points out that there are 105 countries in various stages of central bank digital currency development. Now, only 2% of the 105 countries canceled research. 9% are listed as inactive. But 23% are in development, 41% in research, 14% in pilot programs, and 9% have actually launched a digital currency. So the most incredible statistic, though, is not only are there 105 countries that are in some stage of development, but those countries represent 95% of global GDP, meaning, Jimmy, that the world is on the cusp of going cashless exactly as prophesied in Revelation 13, and the mainstream media is avoiding it. You know, it's interesting that you bring this up because I just flew back from overseas and uh, going through airports, you can't use cash money anymore. Everything is digital, uh, a chip, a credit card. Uh, however, use your iPhone or your, your cellular device to purchase things. So I can, I can attest to this. I certainly agree with you on that. But why do you think the MSM is avoiding it? You know, first is a matter of people not wanting to let go of paper money especially after news of the government intrusion with 87,000 new IRS agents Mm. on the way ready to audit the middle-class citizen. Uh, The wealthy already have tax accountants and lawyers to keep themselves protected, but the middle class does not. 
Also, the world economy, specifically in the Western nations, vary greatly on cash transactions. For example, 19% of U.S. transactions are still done in cash. Canada uses cash 15% of the time. But the EU is at 73% cash and Mexico at 90%. Mm. So there's plenty of pushback from the West to go cashless. Then there's the matter that we talked about about a month ago, and that is Executive Order 14067. Mm -hmm. Now, President Biden signed it on March 9th, 2022. The executive order authorized the Federal Reserve to study the effects of central bank digital currencies on the U.S. economy and report back to the president in six months. That means we should be hearing more about this sometime this month, unless the Democrats who are under fire for this trillion-dollar student loan bailout decide to keep this buried until after the election. R.C., we spoke the last time on how the BRICS nations, that would be Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa are planning to challenge the U.S. dollar as the world reserve status by trading among themselves in the Chinese yuan. How are the BRICS nations coming along on CBDCs compared to the United States? It's a really important question. According to the mapping, Brazil is in development, which is early testing in a controlled environment. Russia is in pilot, which is a small-scale testing with limited participants. India is in pilot. China is in pilot. And South Africa is also in pilot. So the BRICS are on board, and they're moving along. Now, also, Jimmy, there is talk of Iran, who was also in pilot for a digital real, joining the BRICS nations, which would change it to B-R-I-I-C-S, that would further challenge the U.S. dollar, because a new BRICS with Iran would be a major oil-producing bloc. Now, add to that, the U.S. is still in the research phase. So we are well behind the curve for a digital dollar. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I'm sorry to say that. You and I spoke about the CBDCs uh, and how it relates to Matthew 24 and Revelation 13, and specifically how this possibly relates to the final generation before the return of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so, so the answer that I have is, is, is more questions. Why is this happening now? Why are signs like the cashless society that will give governments immense power like they never dreamed of before mm. happening nearly in every country of the world right now? Who can name any other generation in history that has had the ability to control all commerce? Jimmy, Matthew 24 and 25 gives us a verse-by-verse -verse look at the events of the tribulation, both the first three and a half years and the last three and a half years, right up to the second coming of Christ. A much debated passage in Matthew 24, 32 to 35 says this, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer's near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So who is this generation that Jesus spoke of? It's important to keep in mind that the question Jesus was answering in the parable of the fig tree is not just a certain generation, but how to tell the signs of the end of the age. And the rebirth of Israel is certainly a major sign. Mm. So does this generation identify the generation that witnessed Israel's rebirth in the end of the age? If so, we can point to the baby boom generation that started in 1946, two years before Israel became a nation after over 2,000 years and witnessed Israel's rebirth. And if so, it is the generation who will see all the prophecies of the second coming before it passes away. Jimmy, the fig tree is mentioned 14 times in the Gospels in relation to Israel. If Matthew's this generation 
is related to Israel's rebirth on May 14, 1948. It could mean that this generation that Jesus spoke of is here. You know, R.C., you make a great case. Uh, I've often said, you know, and, and we, you and I, and everyone that follows and works with us, we believe in an imminent return of Christ. It could happen at any moment. And we don't, we're not setting any dates, but what we do see is that we are seeing, and as Daniel said in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, and when Daniel was told to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. We're seeing that and we're in those times when knowledge is increasing. Um, the world is moving faster and faster to what we would say would be the rapture of the church. As a matter of fact, the things that we're talking about take place during the tribulation period. So you make a great case. In any case, we need to be prepared. We need to live pure, productive, holy lives in an unholy world. We need to be ready. And RC, you have given us some very good information pertaining to what's taking place worldwide. And RC, I mean, one last question. You know, we've talked about this before, but digital currency control, which means that, and, and you've brought this up before, they're going to have control over the way that we spend our money and who we support. And you see that coming much faster now than ever, right? Oh, I, I really do. I mean, this, 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 this new currency that is coming is programmable. I mean, that is the key word. That currency can be canceled. That currency can be given to where, where the government wants it to be. As I said before, this is immense power. This is tracking everything everyone does. Every dime that's spent, every penny that's spent can be looked at. Every trend can be followed. I mean, this, this, is, this is better than the, this. This will be more effective than the social credit score that China's been bragging about. This is something that really will control people. And, and the development that, that, this, uh, that this fellow did with mapping this thing just absolutely blew me away. Yes, it brings it so much to light how the world is quickly moving in that direction. Well, thank you, R.C., and uh, folks, we do need to be prepared. We need to be understanding of the world that we live in, why it's making the decisions that it's making. And I think you said a key phrase, uh, power. Uh, everybody wants the power. They want the power to control. And that's what the that's Antichrist right. will come on the scene, and he will do that. Well, thank you, R.C. We look forward to our next conversation with you. Thank you, Jimmy. It was great being with you. God bless. R.C. Merle really helps us to understand what's happening in the, in the system of the world and a thought process in the banking system that really is setting up for the Antichrist to come on the scene. Uh, and it could be very soon. Uh, I think it could happen at any moment, even before this program is done today. Well, a longtime friend of ours hasn't been on in a while, but he, I would say he's one of our pastors that we go to when we have uh, situations that are confronting the body of Christ and really how to help the body of Christ, educate them and edifying uh, the body of Christ in these last days. And that's what we're doing today with uh, my good friend, Pastor, uh, former Pastor Heath Marion. Heath, welcome to the program. Hello, it's good to be back. Uh, Jimmy, it's always good to talk with you as well. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's great. Uh, and I know that you have been working on a, a new purpose in, uh, in your ministry, Heath Marion Ministries, and uh, you have been working on a new project, Discover Your Purpose. Tell me about that. It has been a, a labor of love, and it's one that I'm really excited about. I keep hearing the word destiny, purpose, discover your why. And I'm in a, a lot of conversations from people within 
the church to different businesses, sales organizations. And so I wanted to come in and be able to give a Christian spin to this. So it's different than maybe the Rick Warren 40 Days of Purpose. It's different mm. than maybe doing a, a purpose class at a church where, you know, they're trying to plug you into a ministry at the church. And so I wanted to redefine this and help people understand they have a calling and they have a mission and a p- purpose to pursue in their personal lives. And that is pretty exciting. And so that's what I've been working on and working on a an intensive to begin to help people really understand what destiny means and how it applies to their own personal lives. Well, before we get into this, uh, Heath, I, I just want uh, our folks to understand, and, and, and you've been on before, you've talked about issues uh, more so in the church and the body of Christ, the young people. I mean, I, I know a lot of our folks remember some of your messages about uh, or your um, interviews with us, talking to us about why millennials are leaving the church. Tell us uh, your background and uh, in, in, in really kind of a, a short way of what uh, your experiences in, as a pastor. Okay, yeah, I, I have been able to be a, a pastor for over 20 years. I've been involved with uh, youth ministry, working with high school students, and also went into the, the college level, worked with college students, uh, been a professor um, with college students at several different uh, universities as well. And so I've been able to um, even go over to Romania and some other uh, locations around the world, 27 different countries I've been in, and working with college students to 20-somethings and really working with the body of Christ, helping them really launch out into what God was calling them to do. And so this is something that I'm always passionate about. Um, I think where the turn is for me in this conversation is people are talking about destiny, people are talking about purpose, but a lot of times they push it towards, well, the the person who is a in the church, the professional pastors, the professional whether they're Christian workers or working for a nonprofit that's, you know, raising money for a church or missions or something, they're the ones who have a calling in their life or they're the ones who have mm-hmm. a mission. And so then it gets mixed up where we're not having that conversation with people going out into the world and all the different realms of society. We need great Christian men and women in as lawyers and as doctors, as even working at a gas station. We need people in every realm of society, educators in the schools, as coaches. We need them in each one to begin to really step into their purpose. And so that's really what I'm wanting to talk about and and help people begin to understand. You know, it's funny, um, and I I had to laugh a little bit because I'm pretty sure (laughs) that it's – you know, we have, I know we have a lot of pastors that listen, but I know that we have a, a lot of non pastors that listen. So this is perfect. And I always go into a church and I'm always challenging folks. What is your purpose? You know, how do you get to where you're going? You have to. And Paul talked about this to keep your eye on the prize, to keep running the race, to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. And we were all encouraged to do that. And I've always asked the question, why do Christians lose their way? Like what, how do they have the answer? And then they walk away from the answer and from living a life that God has for them. So my question to you today is, do we have a destiny or a higher purpose? Uh, 100%. I believe we all do. I believe we're all created by God and we're unique to this time, this area, 
and in with this experience that you have, your skills, your talent. There's nobody on earth who's ever had your unique mm. mix. And yet what we do sometimes is we forget that and we think the church stuff is for the church stuff. And we don't realize that we have a higher purpose when we're at our jobs. And that's always Paul talks about always bring God glory in everything we do. Amen. We drink everything. Jesus has a purpose. It was simple. Seek, save that which is lost. Easy. In Acts, one of the, my favorite passages, he says, when David, he fulfilled the purpose that God had for him in his generation. Mm. And that motivates me, Jimmy. Um, it makes me so motivated saying, okay, what is my calling? What is my mission right here, right now, in my generation, in this moment? Why did God place me in Texas? Why did God place me born and raised with those parents, this experience is my talents, and how can I pursue that? And you see, it's higher than just a, a career, because careers can change. And it's mm -hmm. greater than just a, a, maybe a job in the church where we're serving. And I don't want to take away from a pastor. I've been pastor. I've been in the church. What I want to do is I want to help, help people understand God has really, truly designed them to have an incredible impact in the world around them. Mm. And their world might be in a small little town. It might be in a small church. It might be in a small community. But God has them in that place to really, truly make an impact for him. And he's used, he wants to use their special gifts. And I see most people, they're not fulfilled at work. They're not inspired. And it's because they're not tied into their daily actions. So I, I like to take destiny out of this realm of the supernatural mm -hmm. and really tie destiny back to it's your actions today. What you do today, what you do tomorrow, what you do this week, what you do this month really will take you to where God is calling you. If we're tied into the Holy Spirit, listening to Him, asking Him who we need to talk to, who we need to interact with, and we really see those actions each day, the right actions, will take us to that destiny. Does that make sense? That sure does. It really does, Heath Marion, and uh, his ministry of uh, of helping people. And I, I know that a lot of folks out there, you know, day to day, Heath, we're out there. First of all, some of us have stopped going to God's Word, and we've talked about that in the past to find the answers for how right. we impact our world around us. And then, you know, a lot of us don't understand why the world is acting as it is. What is our destiny? Our destiny is to glorify God. I love that. That's First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, to glorify God in all that we do. And how does that uh, affect the world that we live in? And really, as God has chosen us to impact our world, how we impact our world is giving them that information that God sent his only son to die for them. And that's what God wants, a restored relationship with all of mankind. I love this. We're going to continue this. I've got questions about this for you. Uh, give me some information as to, uh, you know, if we want to find out more about this before we continue, before next week, people want to look at it, uh, where we go. Give me some information pertaining to that. Okay. Yes. Well, what we have is on your, on your website, uh, we're going to be having a little link. And they can download a free book. It's just a free workbook. It just allows people to start working through what inspires them, what fulfills them. And then also there is an intensive. It'll have another course to just uh, talk, another link that'll talk about the intensive and the, the course that I have created that's helping people. We're taking this into businesses. We're taking it into, like I said, sales agencies and different groups as well and mm -hmm. in, in churches. So um, hopefully it'll be a blessing to 
each of the, the listening and maybe they want to pass that on to a grandchild or maybe they want to pass it on to a 20-something or 30-something male, um, I think it would be a big blessing to them as they're thinking through that. Yes, and uh, it's so very important that we have that de- that goal, that purpose, that prize that Paul talked about to keep and, and be focused to get to the end of our journey here on this earth, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jesus is coming back, and I want to maximize that this moment to do everything I can to really, one, be prepared for myself, and then also help others be prepared for when Jesus comes back. Exactly right. I mean, the very first thing that happens to us as Christians at the rapture is we'll be standing before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account to how we lived our lives, whether we lived it for ourselves or we lived it for him. Heath Marion, I look forward to carrying on this conversation with you next week, and uh, I look forward to how we might be able to help some folks to understand and help them continue this journey to finish that race, looking for that crown, that incorruptible crown. Thank you, Heath Marion. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Wow. What a great half hour that was. Dave Dolan going into extra time uh, talking about Theodore Herzl and Mikhail Gorbachev, the death of Mikhail Gorbachev, and how those two men affected uh, the history of the Jewish people, the history of Israel. And then, of course, R.C. Merle talking about the central bank digital currency. You know, just understanding that. And the reason we bring that to you is because it is helping us to understand how fast the world is quickly going to what it talks about during the tribulation period. And then, of course, with Heath Marion giving us some instructions about finishing that race. Well, we got to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have Dr. Jimmy DeYoung on the Legacy Series. He's wrapping up his series on hell. Jesus spoke more about hell ten times more than he did about heaven. That's right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been looking at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, uh, we've got something special coming up in the very near future, don't we? We sure do, Jimmy. We're going back to Israel. Uh, You and I will be there at the end of September and again in October, and we'd love to have you join us. I think September's is full and it's a little too late, but October, there may be a chance if you're interested in going with us. Give us a call, 423-825-6247, and you could also hear about our tours planned for next year. I'm excited about it, Rick. We love that area. We love that great teaching platform, the backdrop Israel. (laughs) I can't beat it. Well, today on our Legacy Series, we're going to conclude our study on hell, and we'll answer the two questions, is hell real and is it eternal? In a moment, we're going to open to the book of Mark and see what Jesus Christ had to say about hell, the eternal lake of fire as recorded in the book of Mark. And we're also going to teach about what God's Word says about the conditions of hell and the procedure which will be followed by Jesus Christ when he sentences all lost people to the lake of fire and the real place for those who reject Jesus, a place of eternal punishment, hell in the future. Hell was so real that Jesus talked about it ten times more than he talked about heaven. We need to take a look at this. This is a very sobering subject. It's an important subject that will affect eternity and how you understand it. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 9, Dr. Jimmy D. Young and our Legacy Series. Book of Mark, chapter 9. Jesus Christ spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. 
about 12 times more about hell than he did heaven. Look here at verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that uh, believe in me, it is better for him that a milestone be hanged about his neck and he should be cast into the sea. And if I hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell and to the place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45, and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, and if I offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell's fire, Gehenna, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That's pretty serious warning from Jesus Christ himself. He said, cut your hand off, go through life halt. Cut your foot off, go through life maim. Pull the eye out of your socket and throw it on the ground. Be better for you to do that than enter into the place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That's just one passage dealing with what Jesus had to say about hell. He said, is eternal. The worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Let me look quickly at the description of the destiny that's going to unfold. Go to chapter 16. Chapter 16 of Luke. Chapter 16 of Luke. Luke chapter 16 gives us a record of what hell is going to be like. Now, I understand Luke 16, I told you before, is Hades. It's the temporary place of abode for all lost people today who will be taken into the great white throne judgment, and there to be sentenced into eternity in the lake of fire. But the description of this location of Hades is applicable to the eternal lake of fire forever. Let me just show you quickly what happened. You know the story, the rich man and the Lazarus. And Lazarus was a beggar who tried to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. They both died, and in verse 22, Lazarus was taken into Abraham's bosom. Verse 23, in hell, uh, the rich man looked up, and he was in torment. Now, there is the first condition of hell forever. Torment. Torment in the flame. You ever see anybody die by fire? I had a very sad experience. It was a Wednesday night in South Georgia. I was ministering at this church. We had a young man come to be a guest speaker that evening. He and his brother-in-law were driving part-time a gasoline truck. They left the church service, got in their gasoline truck, started to another community down these old, windy Georgia country roads. As they went around one curve in the road, a farmer was back in his flatbed trailer across the road. Approaching this flatbed, my friend, the preacher, driving this gasoline truck, must have thought, if I hit him, I'll kill us both, we'll kill the farmer. And so he instead turned the wheel to the left and started out across the field. As he started into this recently plowed field, he lost control of the gasoline truck and the gasoline truck started to tumble end over end. There was a safety valve on the top of the tank of the gasoline truck. If it had broken completely off, everything would have been okay because the gas would not have escaped, but it broke halfway off. And as he was tumbling through the air, that gasoline leaked out on the cab of the truck. The ignition system ignited a flame and they started to burn. When we got there, I can't describe the stench of burnt flesh. 
I'll never forget it. We looked his brother-in-law in a ditch. All the skin on his body had been burned off, just his skeleton. We looked in the cab of the truck. There was my friend. The heat had been so intense. It had burned his head off, his arms and his legs off. Only the charred center carcass of his body was left. I thought in a few fleeting moments as that gasoline ignited and he was starting to burn to death and screaming and yelling. I thought, if you could sustain that forever, that would be the torment where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. I've got an idea. Why don't we see what it's like to burn? Well, I'll call the kitchen, Wayne. We'll get them to turn on a burner on the stove over there and get it red hot. And then we'll file out, go over, one at a time, walk into the stove and put our hand down on the hot burner. Now, not to hold it, but for 10 seconds. No, I don't think there's anybody in the room that would put their hand on that red hot burner for... Five seconds, somebody dying and going to hell. Torment in the flame. Look at the next condition of hell. Verse 24. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. The second condition of hell is thirst. Tormented in the flame, thirst forever. Notice that he didn't say, Father Abraham, have him bring me a bottle of water, a cup of water, a thimble full of water, a teaspoon full of water. He said, Father Abraham, let him get one drop of water. Touch my tongue and I'll be refreshed. Thirst forever. Thirst for all that would have caused you to separate or caused our loved one to separate himself from receiving Christ. Forever. Verse 25. Here's the third condition of hell. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime thou receivest the good things and likewise Lazarus the evil things, but now he is comforted, thou art tormented. The third condition of hell is thinking, thinking forever. Remember thou, rich man, you receive us the good things. And for eternity, every person that chooses to go to hell will think forever. They will think about every single sermon they ever heard about hell. Every single warning not to go to hell. Every single song talking about how to escape hell by receiving Christ. Thinking forever. Have you ever done something that all of a sudden it's over and you say, Wow, what did I do that for? That's how it's going to be. Thinking. Thinking. Torment in the flame. Thirsting for refreshment. Thinking forever and ever. What's the procedure? How does this unfold? Go back to the book of Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 and let me conclude. Look what happens here. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it from whose face the earth and the heaven had fled away and there was found no place for him. Now the judge here is going to be Jesus Christ because of what the word of God 
John chapter 5, verse 22, he is giving the responsibility of being judged. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books, that's plural, the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. That's singular. And so you have two sets of books, plural books, a singular book, the singular book, the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, plural, according to their works. So there will be degrees of punishment in hell forever. That determined by the actions recorded in books brought up at the great white throne judgment upon which they will be judged in certain degrees simply as it does happen in the judgment seat of Christ. You receive reward for what you've done, different degrees of rewards, etc. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell, or Hades, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what will happen? I can just almost picture that rich man in Luke 16. Can you imagine? He will have been in torment for how long? 2,000 years since Jesus wrote it. For how long? 1,000 years of the millennial kingdom. And after 3,000 years, he's released. I can almost, oh, it's wonderful to be out of the torment of the flame. Oh, I'm so thirsty. All I've been thinking about. And then Jesus steps to the judgment bar. Rich man, come here. He opens the book of life. Rich man, your name is not in the book of life. Depart from me. And the rich man looks, no, 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 Jesus. I've been there for three, please. And Jesus, compelled by who he is, cast him into the lake of fire forever. That's the truth of hell. It's eternal. It's separation. And nobody has to go there. Do you remember what the rich man said? Hey, listen, can I go back to my five brothers? Let me, if I came back from the dead, they would believe me. What did the Lord say? No, they won't. They had Moses and the prophets, the apostles. But wait a minute. There was one who came back from the dead. And he gives testimony of what will happen. And we need to have that compassion of that rich man and move forward to give the message of the one who did raise from the dead. And the one who did raise from the dead was Jesus Christ. He came back from the dead to confirm that he was the Son of God. The study of the subject of hell has taught us that hell is a real place. It's the lake of fire, the place that Jesus told us was not only a real place, but the place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. The rich man in hell had compassion. He had compassion for his brothers who were lost. You know, we need to have that same kind of compassion for our loved ones anyone who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Hell is real, and it is eternal. 
Let's pray for the compassion to win lost people to Jesus Christ. Next week on the broadcast, we'll begin a brand new study about heaven. There are a number of books today that have been written on the subject of heaven. And again, I would rather not look to the books of men to know all the details about a subject. In fact, I want to look at the book, the Bible, and what it has to say about heaven. Heaven today, heaven tomorrow, and heaven forever. Please join us next week. If you now understand the two possibilities of where you will go when you die, and you want to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it's time to call on God for salvation. As an act of faith, communicate the following to God. God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that because of my sin, I deserve to be eternally separated from you. Even though I do not deserve it, thank you for loving me and providing the sacrifice for my sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you made a decision for Christ because of what you've heard today? Then please let us know at prophecytoday.com. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Todd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. A recent United Nations report said that among certain groups in Nigeria, as many as three out of four women are forced into marriage. Take Lena, an imam's daughter who became a believer in Christ at only 14 years old. Because of her faith, Lena survived domestic abuse, forced marriage, and sexual assault. And now she plans on going back to her hometown to share the gospel. Please pray for Lena and other Nigerian women. In the Southeast Asian country of Laos, Christians risk much to follow Jesus. Joe Handley with Asian Access says dozens of Christian leaders have seen their homes and churches torn down. Many flee to nearby towns or even the forest. Others spend time in prison. Laos has a state-sanctioned church, but the government keeps a tight rein on gospel proclamation. Asian Access works with other ministries, providing aid and even legal help to persecuted Christians. Learn more at missionnews.org, a service of One Way Ministries. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, for the last hour and a half, we've been examining current events in our world, what's happening, using God's Word. We are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic Word. And I think that is so very important in our world in which we live. We have a biblical worldview. We have a prophetic biblical worldview, uh, understanding why the world is acting the way it is. And that's so important for our lives, Rick, as we are continuing to 
exist here until the rapture takes place or until God takes us home. And we all are very aware of that. Uh, some of us uh, later on in life, we're aware that we're getting closer to that moment where God will take us home either through death or through the rapture, correct? That is correct. And uh, I know I speak for both of us, Jimmy, when I would say I would be happy for the rapture to happen tonight. Mm -hmm. And as we know, there's not much left to take place. In fact, nothing left to take place for that rapture to happen. So, of course, that is our prayer. But we do live in perilous times, Jimmy, and sometimes uh, we don't know which way is up and which way is down in no today's kidding. society. Yep. And uh, that seemed to be on display today in the program, didn't it? It sure did. You know, I I don't like to get political, and I don't ever want to. I, I do think that, you know, as we have, uh, we vote and we've and dad used to talk about this you and i teach about this you know there's several things the sanctity of marriage the sanctity of life and where a politician that you're voting for stands on israel how they believe now we know um that that is so important and once america stops uh, protecting or caring about Israel, uh, that will be the downfall of America. But it could also be the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage, and that could be the downfall of America. There, and we that is so very evident in our world today. But I don't think it's political. I think we're being attacked for our faith, for what we believe, for what Jesus Christ, God's word stands for and the people that follow Jesus and follow God's word, what they stand for. So yeah, I mean, the world in which we're living, the, when you look at what Dave talked about in Israel and talked about what R.C. Merle talked about, what Heath Marion talked about, yes, uh, we are living in, in a world where it's hard to tell uh, the right side up from upside down. Again, whenever we get confused or if we get turned around ourselves, always go back to Scripture, right? Always go back, read the manual. We've got the manual, and we've got God's prophetic plan. I mean, he had a plan since the beginning of time, since creation, and it starts in Genesis, goes all the way through Revelation. We're not just tumbling through space, uh, neither physically more, nor metaphorically. God is holding this mm -hmm. all together. He's got a plan. He's directing the ways. But I do think that if you don't have that base, it is easy to get tossed and turned around. We talked a little bit uh, with Ken Timmerman about how it seemed like the president of the current administration is attacking anybody who doesn't believe or uh, vote in the same way. Like you said, we don't want to get political. And then we talked with Dave Dolan, and, and he was just talking about on the Temple Mount. Now, we know that's a flashpoint, but he was talking about on the Temple Mount how uh, events are taking place and people are using it as a pretext to start their own wage their own wars that have nothing to do with the event that took place. So we that's the reason we do this program, so we can look at these events, know what's going on, and we know from Scripture that these places are going to play a role in the end times, but we want to give people an accurate portrayal so they can know where we are in Bible prophecy. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, when we talked with Heath Marion, we were talking about uh, purpose, destiny, uh, we all have a purpose. God has a purpose for every single one of us. And we have a destiny. We know what our destiny is. We know where we're heading. Uh, uh, so a lot of us are redefining our purpose through our lives in different ways. The older we get, 
you just transition to different areas. Uh, when we were young, we, <laughs> we were very energetic, very strong, very healthy, working in the youth, working. Uh, but as you get older, yes, we start to, we're bringing more wisdom and knowledge to the, to the church, to those around us, to our families. And uh, in my conversation with R.C. Merle this last week, um, uh, as we were talking about the program that we were going to do, and I think he had some very important information pertaining to the generations uh, that see these things happening again, and that's uh, Matthew chapter 24. But we talked about, you know, sometimes we have no idea who's out there listening to what we are saying, getting encouragement, getting instruction, getting that hope that's within us, which is eternal life, uh, beginning with the rapture of the church, beginning with our decision to follow Christ as our personal Savior. So yes, Rick, all of this information is so very important as we study through it and we examine current events, we understand God's Word, uh, the parts that are under helping us to understand the times in which we are living. Well, that's right, Jimmy. Always great to hear R.C. Moreau and uh, the, the homework that he puts into his Segments are great. And then the thought of destiny or legacy. And, you know, we're not young men anymore. Like you said, uh, we're a little bit older, so we can't quite do the same things that we used to. But as you get older, you start to think about your legacy, what you leave behind, not only with your kids, but what you are doing in the world. And we study prophecy because it puts our lives in context and it gives us a motivation uh, to live pure Uh, prepared and productive lives. And I I love that thought. What's the legacy we're going to leave behind? And it's not about uh, a car or a house or money or uh, a bank account or anything like that, but it's about what we do for Christ, right? It sure is. Legacy series this week about hell, the conditions of hell, God's plan, Satan, uh, and his evil demons were the only one destined to be in the lake of fire for eternity. That's Matthew chapter 19. But as we see this, those people that reject Jesus Christ, even though you and I, Rick, and all of those that are listening, we are busy about the uh, telling others about Jesus Christ and what he has done for them through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The conditions of hell are so very real and so very sobering. It was so sobering, in fact, that Jesus spoke about it 10 times more than he did heaven. So I think that that gives us the motivation to live a pure and productive life, to find out our destiny, our purpose, and to continue on doing those things that we are doing every day to be very proactive in our lives and serving the Lord. Well, Rick, thanks so much for doing the program this week. I look forward to doing it with you again next week. And until then, we need to keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.